Hey, I'm Shreem Patek, and you're listening to Making Marketing by Digiday. Every week, I talk to marketing leaders who are changing the industry one decision at a time, be it figuring out the role of consultancies, the relevance of agencies, or the resurgence of the CMO. There's a lot to unpack. And joining me this week is Alicia Tillman, Chief Marketing Officer at SAP. B2B marketing comes with its own challenges, and inside SAP, the focus has been figuring out what that really means. On this episode, Alicia and I discussed making B2B brands cool again, as well as the resurgence of brand purpose and how difficult it can be to implement that across an organization. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, Alicia. Welcome to Making Marketing. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. We're so excited to have you. Um, so we are talking about early beginning of the year. So I thought I would actually start with asking you what your resolution for 2019, not personal, professional is um, and why. So I, I and it, it really is um, building off of what I believe 2018 was a year of, which is really helping people um, find their voices on issues that matter. Um, so we surfaced a lot of issues, whether it be societal issues, um, economic issues, uh, environmental issues in 2018. And I believe that 2019 is going to be a year of impact and change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for for me, as I lead the marketing strategy for SAP, it's going to be about how do we help people um, really get the platforms and the scale that they need to drive the change around the issues that they had surfaced in 2018. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, companies as large as SAP have a responsibility to help others that don't necessarily have the same scale that we have to be able to give them the tools and the resources and the capabilities to create the change that they want to see. Can you give me an example of kind of what that looks like in practice? Because I think we are definitely seeing a little bit of a resurgence, I guess we'll call it, on that responsibility, I think, especially as big companies have beyond mm -hmm. kind of their day to day. And mm -hmm. I think you're, you've hit the nail on the head. I think it's definitely something that feels like it's in the air right mm -hmm. now. What does that actually look like in practice? Yeah. So I think it starts with, um, you know, understanding the purpose of your company. So what at your core are you ultimately helping to support in the world? Um, and that's the aspiration that each company needs to define and ensure. You know, at SAP, we deliver uh, technology and innovation to help companies run more efficiently so that they can deliver exceptional experiences for their customers. But our higher purpose has always been to help the world run better and improve people's lives. And this means that when you help companies run better, you give them the capabilities they need, and in our case, it's through technology, um, to help solve a lot of the challenges that we have at a global level. So for example, um, you know, technology is an enabler. Uh, it's an enabler of, of change. And, um, you know, there are many companies and we want to grow the number of companies that use our technology to help solve changes in the economy and society and in our environment. Uh, there's a company um, based in Latin America called Compartamos. And this is a company that really works to um, allow for capital and innovation 
um, to, to be li- delivered to entrepreneurs that have trouble accessing it otherwise. So how do we, through technology capabilities, you know, allow individuals to get the resources they need to grow? Or there's another company called ERP, which stands for Elephants, Rhinos, and People. And they're trying... A great trio. Wonderful. <laughs> and they're trying to solve the poaching challenge mm-hmm. that we have in South Africa. And they're using SAP technology to power drones Mm -hmm. that fly over um, the land in uh, parts of areas of South Africa where poaching uh, exists. And we've embedded GPS technology on over a thousand rhinos and elephants. And so when they approach the poaching zones, um, they send a signal so that the elephants and rhinos move into the other direction away from poaching zones. And these are ways in which, you know, people who have great ideas and have established um, and and recognize areas in which, you know, it may be a challenge not only for a particular country, but, you know, removing animals from the ecosystem actually has global impacts. Right. Um, and where we can embed technology and find those companies uh, that are looking to drive change through good, that's what we want to continue mm-hmm. to do. And and that's our mission as a company. So I find that really interesting because I think, you know, it's kind of, to me at least, it feels like a little bit of a unique opportunity and challenge for a company like SAP. Obviously, you, you do a lot, but so much of what you do because of the nature of what SAP does can be behind the scenes. It can mm-hmm. be things that people don't normally sort of think or see in front of you. So as a marketer, you've got this, to me at least, it, it's you've got this unique challenge because you're doing all these things. Nobody really knows that you're helping power this amazing technology that's going to you know, potentially help solve the poaching issues. Um, so as a marketer, how, how then do you start telling those stories? Because you know that the, all these amazing things are happening around the company. Um, walk us a little bit through, firstly, finding those stories and then figuring out the right way to tell them so people know, hey, by the way, SAP is doing all these amazing things. It's not, it's, it's, sort of this, it's not just kind of powering it and being invisible about it. So you've, you've raised an opportunity that I think every B2B marketer um, has in front of them. Um, And it is about how do you consumerize the work that you do in the B2B space? And frankly, I would say a year ago, it posed an opportunity for differentiation. Um, Today, I would say it is a responsibility uh, if you want to be competitive in the years to come. And the reason why I believe that is because We live in a world today, and you can thank the rise of digital and social media, that there are more influencers than ever before in the B2B decision-making process. So there once was a period, not too long ago, where there was one or two people in a company who were responsible for all decisions related to technology or any other partnership that a company needed to form to help support their success. This is specifically in marketing or anywhere, any B2B company, anyone Mm -hmm. who needs to hire on a solution, a piece of technology, form a new partnership to help support their company's success. 
Um, there's typically a few people in charge of that by department. So if you're the CIO, you're in charge of making all of the technology infrastructure decisions within your company. If you're the marketer, you're responsible for all of the advertising agency Mm -hmm. partnerships that you hire or social platforms that the company is going to choose to partner and invest in. But we have evolved significantly. And yes, there will still be a decision maker responsible for signing the contract. But gone are the days when there was just that person in the driver's seat making that decision Mm -hmm. because people are choosing today where they work based on the technology that they'll be using every day to do their jobs. You know, how how um, incredible is their email system, you know, to be able to buy and source goods? You know, what's the platform that you use in your company to be able to do that? Booking travel, filing expense reports, Mm -hmm. the technology that you use is important to employees when they choose companies to work for. And so what that means is the influence into buying decisions has grown considerably. Um, There are more and more sales engagements that we have where decision makers are bringing end users into the discussion to help evaluate tools and technologies um, because they are the ones that will be using them day in and day out. And so B2B marketers have historically only focused on marketing to decision makers. Um, And typically, the priorities that uh, their tools and solutions would message to are that of company savings and control and transparency. These are our our primarily decision maker goals. Now it's waiting towards um, user experience and flexibility and how much more effectively am I Mm -hmm. able to do my job? Well, it certainly sounds a lot closer to B2C marketing. And, And that's the direction that it's going. And you know, at, at SAP, and in particular this year, I have really flipped the way we message our value on its head. And it's more about outcomes and impact at an end user level. How are we really delivering exceptional experiences to really help employees be more effective, mm-hmm. um, to help companies achieve their aspirational visions, which are also to help the world run better in some way. And so that's the beautiful opportunity that I do think marketers had a year ago Mm -hmm. um, when I was sort of reflecting on my predictions for 2018, that this is a way for you to differentiate if you think about storytelling a bit differently. Now I believe it's really what you have to do to remain competitive because Mm -hmm. I see more and more companies beginning to shift towards um, how you tell more of a consumer-oriented outcome-focused message, which is very different from how B2B marketing was constructed a year, two, three years ago. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned sort of flipping that um, and that being a big part of what you've done over the last year plus. It's hard. It's it's hard. You're learning, or you, not just you, your your whole team and everybody on is learning new skills and is learning kind of a new way of thinking about something that historically they just haven't done. Um, what was the most challenging part of kind of, especially internally, of socializing this new approach and then actually implementing it? Yeah, I mean, look, 
any change in direction, especially the way, um, you know, you're schooled, uh, is very difficult. Um, and the easiest way to help lead people through change is to represent the voice of the customer mm-hmm. and to really show an outside-in view in terms of how the marketplace is evolving and what customers are expecting. And also to do a bit of self-reflection on what we expect in our personal lives as well. Um, Customer experience is probably the single most thing, especially during the holiday seasons, that frustrate us as consumers. Um, But so too is that a frustration if you have to interact with technology at work that doesn't help you be more effective. In fact, makes you less productive because it takes too long to file an expense report or because you you need to to um, partner with a new agency and the procurement process <laughs> is you know too cumbersome and too many steps that you have to overcome. I mean, those are things that really, really have an effect on employee engagement. And when employee engagement suffers, company productivity suffers, and then company productivity profitability overall takes a hit. Um, and so, the more that we can help our teams see the effect of that and hear the voice of the customer and see where there's opportunities for us to differentiate based on how our technology helps people be more effective, more productive, and companies to be more profitable, then messaging the change becomes a lot easier easier because mm-hmm. we don't want to change for change's sake and everybody has change transformation fatigue um, but if we can message it in terms of our ability to grow and differentiate more as a company that's what every marketer aspires to be and then it becomes a bit mm-hmm. easier to help message what the opportunity is my theory on that has been that in some ways the role of a CMO has kind of become almost like a role like a politician's role I mean a lot of it is Telling your constituents, your team, and then the wider team, and then the employees at large, and then getting them to buy into a certain vision and then showing them that this is actually good for them, not just for you. And sometimes it almost feels, at least when I look at look at you know how CMOs speak and talk, and especially even if they're doing it in public or they're doing it to their own teams, you do have to kind of whittle it down to the major talking points. I mean, it's, it's very political, and I don't mean that in the current governmental sense, but more in sort of the classic politician sense. The CMO role is a position of influence, for sure. Um, You're the original influencers. Yeah. and, And, you know, I look at where I spend my time, whether it be with customers to understand their point of view and and what they're struggling to solve to what my stakeholders and my partners internally, be it the sales organization, uh, my board members, um, the presidents of the various business units, uh, to then the partnerships that I need to have with the different functional areas across the company, be it communications or human resources. Uh, I mentioned sales, operations, finance. You spend an incredible amount of time uh, trying to learn, uh, influence, and collaborate. And if you're not out there um, building those relationships, 
I can guarantee you will not be successful mm-hmm. because I, I do believe that the world is based on relationships and trust um, and how much people believe in you and your capabilities and, and that of what you say and, and whether or not you can be a force for good and a force for impact. Um, and that doesn't come just when there's a need. It comes with lots of relationship building, uh, lots of negotiating, um, you know, and and lots of, you know, seeing and uh, understanding different points of view to be able to arrive at, you know, ultimately what it is the marketing organization can contribute. It is definitely about the power of many versus the power of one. You could have mentioned this earlier, but it's interesting to me because suddenly it feels at least that you have to talk to consumers more. It's not just it's the end users become important regardless of whether you're a B2B or B2C company. How much is kind of the rise of, you know, these so-called direct-to-consumer brands um, changed that or affected it? Because at least from my point of view, I think that these brands really upended how retail works and how branding works for lots of different companies, even even if they weren't in competitive sectors. But the fact that they were talking directly to their consumers without people in the middle, just straight on Instagram, many times without agencies helping them do it. I, I My theory is that you know a lot of people are watching them and saying, well, if they can do it, maybe we can try this new way of marketing. Has, have you thought about the impact of DTC and where do you think it'll kind of go from here? Yeah, I think the, the direct-to-consumer model um, has really challenged speed to market. Mm-hmm. And that has always been a priority for companies is how do I operate with a sense of urgency and how do I be first to market on a new innovation, a new idea? And when you look at these direct-to-consumer companies um, that have taken industries by storm and in a lot of ways are setting the standards for the industries in which they operate in, a lot uh, focused on experience as an example um, because I do believe that business today more and more is lost based on how well you deliver a strong customer experience. And so many of these companies that are coming into our industries are operating with speed and they're defining the way that experience should be delivered. And I frankly think it's it's a healthy challenge for all of us, especially companies that have been around for a long time. Um, and have a have very significant and oftentimes complex infrastructures mm-hmm. that often inhibit speed to market and a sense of urgency. Um, and I can tell you that the way I like to message uh, how we operate within SAP is we have a very entrepreneurial mindset within a um, 96-year-old company. Um, and I mean, that's a incredible uh, way to operate. Sorry, 46 year old company with 96,000 employees. For a second, um, I was like, hang on a minute. Yeah, no, 46, but 96,000 employees, which in itself, you know, we, we have scale. I mean, we have over 400,000 customers, but at the same time, you know, I was, I was on a, a, a speaking panel recently with a startup. 
um, who actually used um, the size of our company and the age of our company to put us at a disadvantage in terms of, of talking about our speed and our ability to react. And because that's the assumption, right? It's absolutely the assumption. And in some cases, it's, also it's, can it's be right. The truth. right. Um, but in others, number one, you have to have awareness around it. And I think it starts with leadership. And I mean, I spend an incredible amount of time removing barriers internally for good ideas to happen. Um, and, you know, I am a steward of the people of my team. And I have always said, if you have a good idea, let's never let um, objection or money get in the way of it um, because you will have that, especially within a big company. But if we believe that this can be uh, a differentiator in our value proposition and that it's it's good for our brand, for the growth of our brand, then we will make it happen. But money is sometimes an, an issue. It, it I mean, Resources is. are something, I think, maybe the most common challenge, right, across anybody, publishers, media, agencies, is always, what's the biggest problem? Oh, I wish I had more resources. I wish I had more people, more time, more money. But I always believe there's something that can be stopped, right? Um, I think that we are in activity overload. We're all, <laughs> we all fall victim of it. You know, we... we we have so many activities that we're doing, but not necessarily activities that are translating into true value attached to the growth of our companies. And we have to challenge it every day. I mean, we, we have activities that we've been doing for years. And, you know, during the year that we started it, it may have proved value then. But just because we did it last year doesn't mean we need to do it next year. Is this, is, when you say activity, is that, could that example be a, a place that you might have spent marketing dollars that? Absolutely. I mean, so if you think about some of the tactics within marketing, um, the number of events that a company hosts. I mean, these could be small, intimate dinners to very large scale participation at trade shows or creation of your own trade show. I mean, these are very high dollar um, resource intensive marketing tactics that we have a responsibility of questioning. And we have to do it every year because to your point, resources are scarce. So too is the financial capital. And if every new year brings new ways and new ideas of doing things, it means having to take a really critical eye to the things that we've done in the past mm -hmm. to determine what really is going to be is going to bring the greatest value today. Because what worked yesterday might not necessarily bring the same level of value and impact tomorrow. How um, you kind of mentioned that, you know, size can be a disadvantage, but you can also use it as an advantage. Um, where has kind of your size, especially kind of when it comes to making the most out of your marketing spend and making the most out of wherever you choose to spend that money in that time, um, been an advantage? Yeah. So I think I think we we gain efficiencies through scale, um, you know, certain things such as buying media. Um, you know, the, the, the greater the scale we have, the, the more we invest, you know, the yeah. further your dollars go. You know, a lot of the, the media models within marketing are 
you know, pay for play. Mm -hmm. The more you invest, the greater the return. Is there more desire for control in that place? Because again, your size, I could see that as being a huge advantage in the fact that you can also do more yourselves. You, you know, smaller companies often have to rely so much more on external partners and vendors and platforms that as somebody with 90,000 employees, maybe you can find that talent or create that team or make that own internal change and not have to have it be somebody from the outside coming in. Yeah. And I do think that there are absolutely unique circumstances where um, it benefits for us to, you know, own the creative development and execution on something end to end. Um, And I think there are many situations that, you know, warrant for us to look at, you know, do we go into our agency network to help support this? Or is this something that we support internally with our own teams? And oftentimes, you know, some of our local in-market activities that require speed, um, you know, uh, where the investment uh, isn't significant, Mm -hmm. that the payoff of using our own teams, both creatively as well as from an execution standpoint, makes more sense for us. Mm -hmm. Um, Versus if we do want to create a global campaign that has uh, multiple uh, complexities or platforms or channels that we want to use, but we want to drive consistency around a single message that's aligned to our corporate priorities, those are opportunities for us to align with Mm -hmm. our agency. um, Because I do believe that our agency is constantly benchmarking us against other companies. So they Mm -hmm. do represent a very strong outside-in view, which I'm extremely appreciative of. But I also believe that they bring incredible amounts of knowledge, too, on what the greatest marketing channels are to bring us the greatest return. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, they have, you know, people dedicated to understanding, you know, the best ways to invest in your more traditional tactics versus your your more digital ones. They're on the ball and that's what they're paid for and that's what their expertise is. But we have to hold them accountable, Mm -hmm. too. Um, You know, I think that... The best relationships in life are where there's equal accountability that exists between the two. And look, I mean, I know there's a lot of debate on, you know, agencies versus in-house. And as I said, I think that, you know, while we have uh, a global agency partnership that we value, we also recognize that there are times where, you know, we're taking on work ourselves. It just depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but but above all else, when we have a challenge, and look, there's always going to be feedback that is unhappy with this way <laughs> of working with the agency or that. And I've always found that oftentimes the root cause of that is a lack of communication and alignment coming from one side or another, mm-hmm. you know, not a good focus on designing the process or who's accountable for what and what the timelines are. Um, and the more that you can work to establish that and refresh it often and come to the table to share feedback often. You know, I've have always had the best agency relationships as as a result of that. Um, we, we just uh, we just sent out uh, and just got back actually some research um, on kind of brands and what kind of their pri- what CMO priorities for the next year have been. Um, and it was research that we conducted as part of Digiday. And one thing that I found really interesting just looking over it this morning was 
the the need for control seems to the calls for control keep increasing. I mean, I think we've you know we've kind of fielded research a little bit all year, and the one thing I keep we keep seeing rise is like, what do you wish you had more of? Oh, I wish I had more control, and I keep hearing this from the brands. When when sort of you hear that, what is that referring to at least for you? I mean, do you feel that brands need to assert more control, whether it's over agencies, whether it's over platforms, whether it's over their own internal organization? Where are these calls for control coming from? I think it's it's based on how competitive our industries are becoming. Um, and, you know, a lot of companies have a belief that the more they can in-house uh, creative and and different marketing activities, it's the internal teams that are closest to the company strategy, the company value proposition, and therefore the best equipped to be able to design marketing strategies that they can go to market with. But that all depends on you know how you manage your relationships. Um, I have always, uh, my entire career, have believed that any partner that I have is a natural extension of my team. Um, And the more that you share information, are clear on accountabilities, um, and are, are, are coming to the table on a frequent basis, the more return you get from the agency model. Um, but if you keep them at an arm's length away um, and you only engage with them when there's a need, then it's only natural that you will not necessarily get something back that is an exact reflection of the business you're in and where you're differentiated and, you know, what a really solid campaign can look like. You and get what you put in. You absolutely do. You get based on the effort that that you put into the relationship. And, you know, if if you have few resources and you don't think that you have that ability to wrap your arms around an agency the way you need to, then perhaps, you know, having something more in-house is, is better suited for you. But in my opinion, it entirely comes down to open communication, treating uh, your partners as if they are an extension of your team, um, being very clear on accountabilities and timelines and budget, <laughs> which is often something that people are very tripped I assume up that's on. That's the one people trip up on most often. Very much so. Um, and renegotiate often, you know, play hardball when it comes to understanding the fees associated with particular services. Um, is that something that marketers have historically just not done enough of, which is why we're sort of in this place where, with this tension that seems to keep growing between kind of all these different parts of the industry? I mean, look, we get locked up in in contracts, you know, three to five year contracts. And, you know, often there's this belief that you can't renegotiate fees until the end of your contract term. That's not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we can re- renegotiate anything at any time based on money. based on your satisfaction right. factor. You're absolutely right. I mean, you're the customer. And, <laughs> right. you know, if you're unhappy, whether it be your fee structure um, or the quality of work that you're getting, um, then we have a responsibility as marketers and ultimately being accountable for the partnership strategy that we have within our teams to to get to a point where you do feel comfortable. And in some cases, you decide you part ways because it's not the right partner. They're not giving 
to the relationship and understanding your business the way they need to, despite your attempts and efforts to create that necessary alignment. And then you decide a model is better for you. Mm -hmm. But regardless of it, you have a responsibility to manage it and manage it actively so that you can get the success that you're after in the relationship. You said earlier, sort of a lot of this has to do with just increased competition, increased kind of an increased awareness of that competitiveness, right? Across it. And I think there is just more pressure than ever on marketing departments to prove that, you know, that, that their investments are working, to prove that the partnerships are working. Is there increased pressure also to kind of connect that marketing spend with kind of the bottom line revenue that hasn't existed to this degree before? Is there more of it? And why is there suddenly more of it? You'd think that was sort of step one, right? Hey, make sure that the money you're spending on your marketing at some point makes sense with kind of how it's contributing to revenue. But I do feel like there's more of that that I hear um, these days. And why is that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's always been continued pressure on the way marketing measures its, its success. Um, you know, one such example is how marketing uh, ma- measures their contribution to the company in the form of leads, you know, new sales leads, which is a typical metric that marketers use. Yet when you measure just primarily on leads or opportunities that are being generated, the challenge that you have with the sales organization is uh, they want to understand the rate in which those leads are converting. And oftentimes when you actually measure then the conversion, the conversion rates are quite low. Mm. So then in the minds of the salesperson, and rightly so, then marketing is not contributing opportunities Mm -hmm. that are are converting into business, which then supports the overall revenue goals. And then the sales team needs to go find different Mm -hmm. mechanisms to drive leads that are converting. And so one of the ways that we've shifted as an organization is we are beginning to measure conversion. Um, So we are putting goals in place for the percentage of leads that convert into revenue um, because that matters. Um, And it also matters when it comes to, as I was saying earlier, distinguishing between value-added activities and just activities. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you can actually assign uh, a conversion rate against an activity, that of which translates into revenue, then it really helps you understand, you know, what are the best marketing tactics to really help drive growth for the company. And, you know, there's pressure because there's pressure on everybody. You know, when sales has pressure, they put pressure on marketing. Um, When any functional area that works uh, with a dependency on marketing, whether it be customer success or customer experience, our sales teams, Um, When they're challenged or when the marketplace is starting to seem more competitive by them, Mm -hmm. then the pressure increases for marketing. And the reality is, is that we work in a very crowded marketplace. There are companies that are popping up and emerging every single day by industry. And to your point about direct-to-consumer organizations in particular, these shiny new objects that we as human beings are naturally drawn to, uh, they are popping up in droves across every industry in which we operate in, whether it be fashion or media or luggage or they look very shiny on Instagram they certainly do and people are drawn to it they're they're drawn to different ways of operating and speed and exceptional customer experiences 
And when when the competition increases, so does the responsibility on marketing to think differently um, and to contribute differently in terms of showcasing the company's value proposition. And so that's why the pressure really exists. And that, it's interesting because that pressure also kind of keeps rolling down, right? So you've mm-hmm. got, pre- obviously, I think brands are under more pressure in a, in a, positive, in a positive way, mm-hmm. potentially. There's more need to make sure that ROI is actually happening. Hey, digital marketing's been around now for 22 years. Let's let's make sure it's really working and doing all that. That pressure then extends to, to agencies. Let's make sure we're getting our money's worth. And then from agencies, I think it does definitely some way extend to kind of publisher relationships and let's make sure we're getting our money's worth there. I mean, there's a little bit of truth here to all of this kind of rolling downhill, um, potentially with some negative repercussions because things are kind of coming to a head. We're calling it kind of the great reckoning for 2019, (laughs) but maybe that's a little dramatic. Um, But I feel like there is some truth to kind of all of this finally coming to a head. Yeah. And, and, and it has to, I mean, we have to put continued, pressure on every aspect of the ecosystem that powers a company's success. And the reality is, is that marketing um, in a lot of ways helps to architect and orchestrate that ecosystem responsible for driving brand perception and helping to lead to ultimate company success and creating customers for life. And when companies have the competitive pressure, the pressure then is felt significantly by marketing and marketing challenging the ecosystem, whether it be ensuring that their teams have the right skills to operate now in a highly digitized environment, to ensuring that we understand and are close to the needs of our customers, to Also making sure that our partners, whether it be technology partners or creative partners, understand our business and our industry and can and can really uh, see where the um, the sweet spot uh, is, if you will, for us to play in. That's the continued pressure that has this downstream effect when your company at a top level has continued pressure, especially in this age of transformation, you know, into digital environments or cloud-based environments. It calls for different skills. It calls for different ideas. And it calls for incredible differentiation that has to be sustained and and continuously reinvented because there are so many companies coming into our industries every single day that cause that pressure. And quite frankly, I don't know about you, but I mean, having that pressure is what, you know, motivates and inspires me every single day. You know, having everything be status quo and, you know, not upset a good thing. That's a thing of the past. I mean, recognizing opportunities to be better, be greater, be more efficient, be more differentiated, be more creative. You know, this sense of if it's not broken, don't fix it. I mean, I think things break every single day and it, and things break with each new uh, uh, competitive threat that comes into our space. And yeah, sure, there, were, there, was, there was once a time where you know, it took a while to outseed a competitor on something. And now I think it happens every other day. 
And so as marketers, I mean, we need to be on our games. Um, Sure, we need to take a vacation every now and again (laughs) to recharge. Um, But it's an exciting place to be right now. I mean, I've always believed that marketing is the lifeblood of creativity in any company. And and I believe it more so than ever, because I do believe that with the right creativity, right with the right purpose and belief on what you can do to change the world. I mean, marketing is the leader of that within organizations. So we'll call it reinvention, not reckoning. Absolutely. Alicia Tillman, thank you for being on Making Marketing. Thank you. And that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Our producer is, of course, Aditi Sangal. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can also reach out to me with your feedback. Tweet at me, I'm at Shereen Batek, or email me, Shereen at digiday.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. 